Transforming organizations is easier said than done, particularly when there's a lot of systemic uh, patterns that hold things in place, and also when, at the top level, where executive position, executive status, and reputation is very much contingent on everything staying pretty much the same. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. I specialize in perceiving the deep dynamics that drive organizational change and also work with decision-making in complexity and, and, of course, the leadership skills that go with working with energy on a personal as well as an organizational scale. Today, I'm talking to David Heron, the CEO of the Wilton and Bain Group, and Chris Bevan, who's an associate of its sister management solutions company, WBMS, and we're talking about what are the challenges that organizations face and, of course, what role do they play in helping them overcome those challenges. Let's talk about the difference between your roles and how you two dance with your with your skills and talents. This is David. I'm I'm Group CEO of the of the Wilton Bank Group. My role here is to work with clients to identify opportunities for businesses going through change and transformation, and to help them find the right people to help them design and execute transformation programs, or indeed entire organisational change programs. Okay, and um, my, my, my role is uh, I, I'm a practitioner. I support corporate leaders and organizations in operationalizing their strategy by guiding them through that transformation journey. So I've, I've worked on a number of programs in UK, Europe, and USA, in a number of sort of national and corporate cultures, and sort of bring that perspective to each assignment that I work on. We're in a very interesting time, I think, in terms of corporate transition or corporate transformation, both in terms of being aware of the need for change and, and also in recognizing that the, the way in which most change processes have been working have been more along the lines of engineering outcomes versus actually working with complex adaptive systems. You know, how, how much education have you had to do with your clients to sort of shift away from this engineered outcomes idea, which just gets you incremental change and not, not enough of a leap in this in these times what's been the conversations you've had to have there well if if i can just kick off an answer on that one the you know the majority of sort of senior executives and leaders have got to where they've got to by understanding and running their sort of operation and you know doing that sort of very very well and running the operation is very different to designing shaping and mobilizing a major transformation you know, they're, they're good people who are very good at what they do. But it's a bit like asking uh, a veterinary surgeon to do a heart transplant on your mum. You know, they know the theory, but they haven't got that experience. And part of the education is is in sort of uh, understanding that gap, uh, but also understanding the various components that need to be in place to make the transformation successful. So education, more coaching and influencing is an absolute key part of, of what we have to do. When you're looking at right people, right spot, right bus, and all of those kinds of formulas, uh, David, let's talk a bit about readiness at the executive level. I was in a conference in Montreal a couple weeks ago, and, and one of the, the people there mapped out spheres of influence, and it turns out the big blocks of, of influence were right at the executive level. Uh, what, what do you, how are you, coming, you know, overcoming those kinds of, of blocks in terms of readiness for change and, and what kinds of shifts help executives step into this? 
it's a very it's a very good question and, and you're 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 right you know uh, and and actually the opposite is is true as well that the organizations that do this best are the ones where the executive leadership is most ready for this so i i i think part of what we do is trying to influence senior leaders leaders to do to do things differently and to think about bringing in external capability a lot of the times businesses are a little scared of that chris talks a bit about education and influencing and coaching and mentoring you know by its very nature uh, if you've been given a remit to to take an organization through a journey and you've never led an organization through that type of journey it's 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 quite a scary time and it, and it's fraught with potentially risk so i i think one of the challenges is most businesses are naturally quite conservative and so as a consequence of that you know the process to engage with these type of firms is just getting longer and longer as you you kind of try and sow the seed and then and then influence them to start acting quite differently. So what, what you see if you take digital transformation as an example is lots of businesses sort of thinking, well, this transformation thing's a bit too hard. So let's just go and create a digital brand within our own brand, which is sort of avoiding the problem, I think, in lots of ways. Uh, and so you end up with all these sort of corporate ventures, none of which are really integrated into what the, the actual wider organizational group's goals are. So that, that's kind of a bit of an easy way out, but it doesn't really solve the problem. Well, it creates a different problem. Uh, you know, a very different problem. You know, you end up with cultural challenges to overcome. You know, you've got the new business, you've got the old business. Is there a new business? Is there an old business? You know, where, where does, where, what, 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 what pays the CEO's bonus? You know, hitting, 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 hitting the profit and delivering shareholder return today, or transforming a business so it can succeed for another hundred years, and 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 therefore, what is the CEO's priority? So, I think, it, I think it does, and that's why I think you see a lot of these corporate ventures being set up, and then you know, actually kind of being disbanded or closed down because the return on, on, on investment is in many times too long. So, so I think there's a new way of operating, which is, which is much more collaborative. You know, transformation should not be something that is done to an organization. And our approach is very much one of partnership, you know, working with clients to drive them through a process rather than working on them or at them or, or, or against them indeed. David makes a very good point there, but one I just like to develop. You know, the transformation journey is a process; it's not a series of events that stitch together. And a lot of organisations go from the development of a strategy, and uh, they have a number of objectives, straight to execution. Uh, and so, it's let's have a portfolio of activity. So we've got to be seen to be doing something, without really designing what it is the future looks like. And so it's a very sort of middle out as opposed to bottom up type process. And because of that, it seems to then be a series of events which are punctuated by quarterly announcements of performance to stock market. And that then is the driving force. And for risk averse organizations, as they're getting up to that sort of quarterly announcement, then they tend to look in, internally into themselves rather than sort of continue on that process. And so there are opportunities to stop, opportunities to pause, because they don't see it as an overall process. What you've both hit on here that, that I think is pivotal is, is focus, because uh, companies that are focused on maximizing shareholder value have metrics that just torque the dynamics in the organization dramatically away from any kind of transformation. It's, it's a singular focus that does not benefit the wider whole. So in the context of having a bigger purpose, a why that is engaging. How are companies, you know, the ones that you're seeing, 
how are they readapting their mindset to focus on bigger, bigger reasons to exist apart from this very small one that just says give them give money quickly? Well, I think from from my point of view, we can help organisations sort of uh, with that challenge, mainly by having that uh, what I described a few seconds ago about that design of the future and getting the organization to really buy into that as they achieving their strategic objectives it manifests itself in a particular way and they an organization has to develop different capabilities different organizational structures may be appropriate different behaviors within the organization etc etc and keeping a focus on that destination the route to that destination may have to change because these programs, you know, can be two, three-year programs. So the routes may change, but as long as the destination is kept front and center, part of my role and our role is to maintain the confidence and maintain the ambition with our clients to reach that destination. There are always going to be compromises, but as long as the, the main sort of destination is kept uh, whole, then we can help them sort of get there. Yeah, I think, I think the, and the other thing that's clear, that's key there, I think, is that, uh, you know, focus is one thing, but one of the challenges we have with, with, with organizations a lot of the time is that they're, they're too focused, and as a consequence of focus, they become closed uh, and not open to new ways of thinking. So I think you've got to be focused and open, which links to Chris's point around knowing what the destination is, but being prepared to take a number of different routes to get there. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, when I say that, what I'm thinking of is awareness of what you're focused on, because when people are focused, if they know they're focused on inner goals and not customer, for example, then they can reshift. They can make those connections as Ford did way back in the day where they said, how will this serve the customer? And, and so they managed to, they married those two together. But if you're not aware of where you're focusing on, then you do tend to just go down that narrow track and completely ignore what's going on on the outside. It's certainly true. I mean, I, you know, there's a, there's a client that that I'm in discussions with at the moment who have got what what could be described as a fairly major customer retention issue or a, a churn problem, and they're in the, the sort of subscription market. And a lot of the work that we're doing with them in terms of transformation programs is aligned around their field operations, their customer operations. But actually, the goal is not really around improving customer service; it's around bringing down cost to serve. <laughs> so that brings another question. So what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to improve the experience of the customers or are you just trying to make it less expensive? Uh, so the impact of churn has less of, a, has less of an impact on your business. But also, I think, coupled with that, is you, you can't go anywhere in UK, uh, parts of Europe at the moment, and people are into digital transformations. I honestly think that a lot of organizations don't know what they mean by digital transformation. So, and to me, you know, it starts with the customer and the customer journey into an organization and how, how we can use uh, emerging technologies and innovation to give that flexibility and agility for each individual customer within an organization. It's not just about refreshing the tech and it's how you use that technology to support the customer. And part of what we have to do is, as you touched on, Donna, earlier on about the education and coaching and influencing is, is helping organizations really be clear about what they mean by digital transformation. And then that can keep a focus if the customer is the focus. So that can help, we can help them keep that focus to, to deliver their, their goals. And, and of course, again, what, what you're touching on is, is that part of the organizational mindset 
that that needs to kind of open up. So I you know appreciate what you said earlier about being focused and open because without some kind of open source system, then you take words like digital transformation, you think, oh that's a cool word, I like that, and then you associate whatever you need, you know, whatever you've got handy to it, and then run off and think you've got it down when you're in fact a long ways from understanding what the impact of it is. What you what you end up with is businesses that create silos and 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 lacking and lack of alignment. So you're absolutely right, I think. So what we've got here is a number of disruptors in the environment. You know, and I know that term has been used a lot and perhaps overused, but the point is that, 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 that without disruptors, we tend to operate in patterns. That's the human neuroscience of the whole thing. So with these disruptors are very useful to be able to help us completely rethink and completely reinvent. And yet it takes that willingness to step away from the habit of doing the same old, same old to do it. So how, how ready are companies to to respond to this because these are rapid response issues. They're not ones that are that take three to six months. It's not it's not a matter of slowing time down so you can make rational decisions. It's a matter of being, you know, hot cognition as as um, as Sergey Brin and, and you know th- that sort of idea where you're just doing the bam, 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 bam. And yet you're doing that kind of speedy cognition with awareness of what the implications are systemically. I would I would say organisations are not very well prepared for that, and I and I actually think that that a lot of that uh, is is down to both process uh, and culture. You know, a lot of a lot of the times businesses have engineered themselves to behave and operate in a certain way in a certain market at a certain time, and and a lot of these businesses are, are, are oil tankers trying to turn to keep up with speedboats. You know, it's tricky. I, I agree. I think there are a core of organizations that know they have to do it, but don't know how. And and that's where, uh, if you like, the uh, people like us and organizations like us can, can actually really sort of help them. Uh, but I'd also compare it to, I was in Australia in October, and um, I would say that in October, uh, so in Australia, that they're about sort of seven or eight years even sort of behind us. In there, it's, it's a question of, we need change management. It's not change management, it's change leadership. I think here there is a desire for change leadership and transformational leadership, but how do I get it? How, how can I get to where I need to get to? They know the what, they don't necessarily know the how. Very true indeed. In fact, I'm aware of that because I do some coaching work and it's about contextual awareness. So when you step into a new context, how do you read the environment and the environment that I'm hearing, you know, that it, because I detect dynamics. Fascinating. If you, if you take that sort of culture or that environment, and there are various sort of components that make that up, that intangible environment, but you know, leadership, ambition, behaviors, the corporate competencies, if those are the spine and then there are sub sort of elements of that as well, then I, you know, it, this is a big job to, to change those. So the oil tanker, as David talked about changing, is not just, if you like, the, the, the process of how they get things done. It's changing the environment and changing the culture is the biggest challenge, because if that happens, then the structure, as you mentioned earlier on, if you like the machine part of the change can then work. But without that environment changing, then the machine just is going to get clogged up and isn't going to work. But part of that, Chris, the ability of organizations to create that environment is is sort of predicated on the level of fear or otherwise that they're feeling. So one of the things I think uh, the type of people that we work with are able to bring is, 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 is and instilling companies is confidence. 
confidence through experience, confidence through you know communication and and all of those things that being seasoned practitioners offer and uh, you know as chris says you know a lot, of, a lot of times businesses try to do this themselves and the people that have got to the roles they've got to have got there through being good at operating not good at transforming businesses yeah. so they don't have the right environment and at that senior position there's a lot of personal reputational risk in getting this wrong which is why there is a it's a big challenge to to try and sort of give confidence to mitigate that risk in doing things in in the right way. It, it, it's so important. It's such a personal and psychological issue to a lot of senior guys and gals. It, it's not just a, a lack of knowledge and experience. No, exactly. I mean, you're asking them to, to almost suspend what they think they know and step into a yes. completely different world and and many of them are completely freaked out by that so yeah uh, in fact in fact i was having a conversation with the ceo of world blue this week and that interview will be up by, by now the time this one is posted that one will already be up and it was something like the ceos were listing some 500 fears which is some kind of recent survey what do you find helps to create the environment so that that fear is you know that good old you know brain science the the, the, that part is, is eased off and people can override the natural tendency to freak out and, and want to, uh, in order to make these changes effective systemically. Well, I, I think the, the, the discussion starts before the engagement starts. Um, and so there has to be a level of credibility that's, that's building up from the first conversation we would have with an organization. That, we, that there is a way of doing this and it isn't a, a rigid sort of structure, uh, there is an approach which is made up of the, 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 the structure and the environment. And we need to give that confidence by describing in a very sort of simple way the steps that need to be taken, the things that need to be done, and then showing where it's been done before. Because, you know, these guys and gals, they've got to have something to hold on to. You know, if, they're, if we're asking them to use your words, Donna, stepping out of their, their existing sort of environment, well, they need some. They need some stability. They need something to grab hold of, and this approach with the environment and the structure can be that thing to hold on to. Uh, and talk to people who have done it. Talk to people who have gone, or are going through, or have gone through this this journey. And part of it, Chris, I guess, is and part of the solution is around how how, how do you how do you create professional courage, confidence, or organisational courage yes. and confidence. Some of that, is, I think, in businesses is misplaced. Um, yeah. But but some but sometimes the, the the role of experience is is in part to allay those fears and to help businesses or handhold businesses through this process. Really, yeah, and and that that's an ongoing process because, as we said earlier on, if these could be two or three year type programs, then the real world will intervene as we're going through this, and that's when the confidence starts to starts to get knocked. And part of our role is to, by using the, the approach that we, we, we use, to maintain that confidence. So if we do have to turn left rather than turn right to get to the destination we need to get to, we know why we're doing it. So there has to be a, a foundation of what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it this way, where we're going, uh, and that will keep us true to, to getting to that destination and maintaining that confidence. What I 
like about that is that you know what we what we know we're dealing with is emergent. So whatever shows up is what we have to deal with. And and part of the confidence that gets shaken is shaken because people are used to having everything predictable and step by step. And and all of a sudden you're stepping into this place where things just show up and you got to work with them fast. So so I appreciate the the um, attention given to just mo- you know monitoring, walking with that building or strengthening of trust in people in, in the inside, in the leadership side to say, we're okay, we're going to get this right. You know, we're going to get this done and we may, it may not be right, it may be wrong, but either way we're going to learn and we're going to evolve. And, and I think that's critical to this process. Yeah. And it's, it's not a mathematical equation that, you know, we, we have this equation that will produce this result. There's an element of science, there's an element of art and there's, you know, it's just like in decision-making, you've judgment plays a big part in this and judgment will be applied as we go through this journey, but we can help sort of um, uh, help making sure the right judgment is made. Because of the fear that you, we talked about earlier, there's pretty much no intuitive foresight left, meaning these companies are very exposed to surprises. How does the work you're doing help them recover what, 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 uh, what I've been calling in some com- conversations collective intuition, that capacity to see ahead before you get smacked by a surprise? There, there are a number of things that um, so I've used and seen being used sort of in the past. And one is in the retail business in, in the UK, the, uh, the emergence of the discount sector over the last sort of three years has, although the discounters have been there for the last 20 years, they've really sort of, um, sort of come to the fore. And there have been some retailers, major retailers in the UK that have really been sort of blindsided by this. But it's been there to be seen for, you know, for quite a while. And a lot of organizations use sort of data analytics in what I would call like the past, the old-fashioned way, which is looking at things that have happened rather than looking at data science and looking at the trends using social media, using sort of that unstructured sort of data to see where what is happening and where the trends are going and then react to it rather than wait for these things to happen. And so also building sort of short-term sort of successes along that sort of journey to build the momentum, to build the resilience so that as these external events happen, the organization is more resilient and more able to, uh, to deal with them, even as we're going through the transformation journey. Yeah, it's good practice, flexing a new muscle, basically. Yeah. I think the other, th- I think the other thing is, Chris, and, you know, this is not a, not a, not a direct answer to your question, but, but one, of the, one of the tools that we actually use um, is a tool called Business Wargaming which is a very, very short, sharp way of stress testing plans to mitigate risk and foresight. So, you know, asking a couple of questions, you know, what could possibly go wrong and what happens if this goes beyond our expectations in terms of right? And I think that's quite apposite for businesses as they go through some form of transformation because it would stand to reason if you're trying to do something you've never done before, then you need someone to come and kick the tires on your plan and how successful it's going to be, really. So I think... I think that point around risk and foresight is really important to big organizations because of the point I made earlier on, most businesses are conservative. They're risk averse. So if there's a way of getting everyone comfortable with that early, then that helps with the process of creating the right environment. Well, exactly. And I think in that you're doing two things because you're mitigating the bias that exists, which is things that are further out. We don't need to worry about them. So you have to be able to bring it in close to make a good, take a good look at it. Otherwise, you, you just can stare, as Kodak and many other famous companies who no longer exist have done, look at it and go, well, you know, that's okay. I'm going to go carry on doing what I've already done. So, so what I'm saying is that here we are in this risk 
the risk, you know, there's a whole business of the bias, but then there's also the boldness that goes with, with leading in through this. And it's not a matter of, of minimizing risk. It's more a matter of recognizing the advantage in it. How do you, you know, the, the, that's a completely different conversation from the regular traditional leadership mindset. What have you seen there in your work? Well, I, I think, I think the, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a fast developing conflict in businesses between a CEO COO and chief transformation officer or transformation director because you've got you've got two particular potentially polar opposite agendas in two roles that fundamentally have uh, a similar impact on shaping or changing organizational structures one is focused very much on today let's make sure the engine works and one is focused very much on the other so that that puts organizations at odds with each other really but I, I think that, uh, again, going back to having this sort of design of the future, and that future isn't going to, that design isn't going to be realized in one step. There are transitions that an organization goes through. Um, and if those transitions can, can deliver uh, financial benefit back to the company, it also helps with a self sort of funding almost sort of uh, model as well. But what, what it means is that it protects that sort of shift from the current operation to the next by doing it in those sort of transitional steps. And again, that, that's something which, if an organization goes straight from the strategy to execution, they haven't worked that out. It's, you know, there, there's a portfolio of, of major programs that are costing millions of dollars to, to deliver, but aren't necessarily doing it in that sort of transitional way. It, it's more of a big bang way. So there are ways that we can uh, help sort of reduce those tensions between the operators and the uh, and the transformers. Yesterday, I was talking to Katrin Muff, who is with Business School Lausanne, and we were talking about gap frame, which is the the relationship. I'm going big picture now, but it's the relationship between the big sustainable issues we've got on the planet, which underpins everything, all of life, and then also how well we're we're doing toward getting there. And that's changing the kinds of strategic conversations that are taking place in companies from how are we going to do the next quarter, the, you know, I mean, those kinds of very small frameworks into what's our contribution to the world. Are you seeing those conversations now surfacing or are we still very much circling the airport around uh, keeping, keeping and sustaining the same old? I think there are some organizations that actually walk the talk, but I think they are in the minority. I think there are a majority of organizations that have the signs on the wall, if you like. It's a bit like the motivational sort of uh, posters. And my view, if you see it on the wall, it's not in the company. Um, so I think we've got a long way to go before we really get into that. Sustainability is, is part of a, a corporate value that is really walked and talked and lived. We talked, uh, you know, I won't, I won't, um, I won't use names of the brands, but I think particularly prevalent in, in the kind of energy sector for obvious reasons. And you talk to those kind of businesses and they're, they're grappling with some pretty major threats, you know, disruption through technology, solar, smart metering. You even look at some of the automotive businesses. I was with, I was with one last week who, whose prime investment globally is in, is in developing uh, electric cars, uh, for example. And in those kind of sectors, you see this as being, to Chris's point, these guys have to walk the talk because their future business actually depends on it. But in other sectors, I, I don't know whether, whether 
you know, it's um, it's just lip service, really. Let's drill down to to decision making as the as the one last question I have for you in terms of what advice, what counsel you'd give executive levels or or any you know the, the whole company, if you will, on how to move forward in this world where AI and robotics and and uh, climate change and there's all these these uh, different things going on that could just as you mentioned the energy part of it could easily throw everything up in the air very quickly, render a business model obsolete overnight in some instances, or also inject a lot of fear. Is there a, a set of principles that you could, or at least some advice or tips that you could offer listeners to sort of give them a way, some ground to stand on within themselves? Because self-leadership is, is really pivotal here. That, that, that's some question. <laughs> For me, in, in decision-making, uh, it's not so much understanding the impact of the decision you make. It's understanding the impact of not making a decision. We talked about fear. We talked about risk and you know the, how organizations handle that risk. And sometimes they handle it by not making a decision. Well, that usually has a much bigger impact than making a decision and getting on with it. But, but also, we can't get away from the fact that judgment applies in decision making. It's not all going to be the information and evidence isn't going to make the decision for you. So you have to, you know, back yourself, make the decision based on the experience you've got, and then just get on with it. And in fact, it, that helps build the organizational intuition because the more data you have in terms of your experience with decision making, the faster you can do that hot cognition part because it's got a. That's just how intuition works. David, anything you want to add there? I think I think your point around how how are businesses dealing with disruptors is quite a interesting question i i think it's more disruption than disruptors because i think i think it's it's not just businesses that are threatening the landscape it's entire sectors that are being disrupted i mean, just use the analogy there around automotive and electric cars but you could take newspapers and the consumption of media or whatever it might be so i i think there's huge disruption in the market and um you know it's it's going to be those that are that are brave that have a long-term sustainable future and those businesses that think they've got all the answers on the inside i think uh, that may well be true but certainly getting the environment right to to transform um and truly continue to lead does does require external thinking as well i think exactly it's more like open sourcing your thinking to a fair extent well i think a lot of the time what happens with businesses is they outsource their problem you know so they bring in big systems integrators or they they go out to big management consulting firms. But I think what we're talking about is we're talking about a process of implanting people. So, so what I would say to companies is rather than outsource it, why don't you insource it? Why don't you bring people on board who can help your people develop and deliver the future? And to Chris's point earlier on around, you know, businesses turn these things into a series of programs. What the challenge with that model is that, that I don't think they always embed that in what the long-term sustainable future of the business is. Sustainable, not in the kind of climate sense, in, in, in actually business sense. So I, I think there's, and, and that links to coaching and that links to different skills at different times and gig working and all sorts of other things that I think are potentially quite apposite. But to do that, organizations have to fundamentally redesign their processes and embrace change which you know isn't simple no it isn't it, it, it is it is the quality of recognizing that we we uh we have the opportunity here to learn and to grow and just saying let's do it it's you know straightforward from that point of view but not if you're used to sitting back and 
having things on autopilot to a fair degree. No, I agree. Where do you where do people go for more information? Oh, well, web link is is www.wbmssugarglobal.com. Great. Thank you very much for taking the time. And thank you to my listeners for listening in on this program. I'm sure if you're working in a company, you've witnessed a lot of the dynamics that we talked about in this conversation. And I think what's interesting about that is becoming observant of those interactions and looking at them through the lens of energy, being able to see where the ebbs and flows are in terms of focus and direction engagement is very useful as a compass for knowing how to work with these changes. I have uh, written decision-making for dummies. There's a lot of insight in there around energy, particularly in chapter five and seven, where we're talking about intuitive decision-making. And also have a chapter in the upcoming book, The Intelligence of the Cosmos, which is about genetics and emotion in the workplace, that chapter, as well as in self-organizing networks. So there's a couple of mentions there, and also the role of purpose. You can find me on www.fromInsightToAction.com or on Twitter at EPDonna, D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. Thank you very much for joining me. Please review and or comment and or share this episode and help us get the word out.